The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It's game day for the Wildcats. They are down in Nashville. Of course, they've been down in Nashville since Sunday evening, I guess. Um, But they play Vanderbilt tonight, and then uh, sometime tomorrow, I think the plan is to head on over to Knoxville to prepare for the game against the Vols on Saturday. So Kentucky will try for the season sweep of the Commodores tonight, a game that went right down to the final minute. Uh, Davian Mintz hit the game winner, Kentucky won 77-74 on January 5th at Rupp Arena. We'll talk about the game and the Cats with Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. Also, Tom Hart. We're not caught up to uh, Tom in a while. He is not on the call of the Kentucky game tonight. It's uh, I think Mike Morgan and Debbie Antonelli on the SEC Network. But uh, we'll get some of Tom's thoughts on the Cats and the SEC in general. So that's our lineup for today as we get to the Wildcat news of the day. Uh, Kentucky takes on a Vanderbilt team that is two and eight in the conference and six and ten overall. However, they are coming off a seventy-two fifty-one win at Mississippi State, in which they made thirteen threes. They've made thirteen threes twice in their last four games. Their four of their eight SEC losses, four have been by six or fewer points. Three, like the one in Kentucky, have been by three or fewer points. So, you know, three of their eight. Losses have been one possession games. The other is a two possession game. Uh, Bruiser Flint did the media session yesterday. Talked a little bit about uh, that with Vandy. Uh, they've won two of their last four, and then the other two were uh, close losses. And uh, he talked about Scotty Pippen Jr., who had a good game in Lexington. He had 18 points and eight assists. At uh, Kentucky had really problems defending him. I think late they ended up putting Jacob Toppin on him and had a little bit of success with the extra length there. But uh, Bruiser said that uh, Pippen is similar to Sharif Cooper of Auburn, who Kentucky just faced, but he's better at finishing around the rim. And that's the key. Uh, Kentucky has defended Cooper very well both times by being able to retreat toward the basket and just keep uh, a hand up with you know a taller player. And Cooper was not good at finishing around the rim. And the other day, chose to keep trying and shoot 23 times rather than uh, pass more often. I think uh, Pippen is uh, a little, is, is a better scorer around the rim and not, uh, you, you can't play him quite uh, the same way that you play uh, Cooper, I think, because of that. Against SEC competition, a couple of interesting stats on Vandy. They're number two in three-point field goal percentage, hitting about 39% on threes in conference play. And they are 13th in defensive efficiency um, and dead last in effective field goal percentage, and that's the stat that factors in the value of a three-point shot in the shooting percentage. However, they just had their best defensive game in that win against Mississippi State. The game in Lexington... Kentucky was down seven at the half. They've been down nine or more to Vandy in five of the last eight games and won them all. Uh, The free throw line was the big difference at Lexington. Kentucky got to the line 32 times and made 26. And Olivier Saar 
got 17 free throw attempts and made 14. So it'll be interesting to see how Vandy defends him after that game. I think Saar had 24 uh, his season high at Kentucky in that game. Uh, Davian Mintz yesterday uh, did a session with the media, was asked about playing a second season at Kentucky. He didn't commit, but uh, he did say he's going to finish out the season and see where that takes me. So certainly uh, seemed to leave the door open to that possibility. And uh, we'll see how it plays out for Davion. I think he'd be a great addition to next season's team. Uh, Florida has offered a scholarship to uh, an eighth grader in Tennessee, uh, Avery Hainsworth. His dad, Albert Hainsworth, the former Tennessee and NFL star. Uh, And it's the first scholarship offer uh, that young Avery Hainsworth has received. And the Women's Selection Committee came out with their top Four seeds in each region yesterday. Kentucky is the 16th overall seed, but has a chance to move up because they have games left against two teams that are ahead of them on seed lines, South Carolina and Georgia. Uh, The Cats are back in action against LSU tomorrow night. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio. Tom Hart will join us when we come right back. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. Served up by Wild Eggs Alexa. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. 14 past the top of the hour. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Tom Hart from ESPN and the SEC Network. Uh, haven't seen you on any Kentucky games of late, Tom, but I'm guessing you have uh, caught the Cats some. Would I be correct? Yeah, I sure have. I was I was trying to figure out why I haven't been on it. I'm thinking maybe Andy <laughs> Kennedy got me suspended again, even though he's no longer <laughs> co-worker. But I, <laughs> that would be merely conjecture. Retroactive suspension, maybe. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Um, what? Give me your take on uh, because Bruiser Flynn did the media session yesterday, and he talked about the the, the Kentucky's uh, the improvement Kentucky's made. Cal's talked about it. Um, are you seeing it as you watch them from the team you saw earlier in the year? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I see a team that's playing with with more confidence. I think there's um, kind of a secret to not only being confident in yourself, but also being confident in your teammates and, and figuring out your personality and the personality of your teammates who, who can handle the ball in a certain situation who you need to go to, and it's going to sound rude, but also who you need to avoid, you know, at certain times. Um, shoot, I played high school basketball, and I wasn't very good, and I remember my point guard got a tongue lashing for throwing me the ball on the break because <laughs> I wasn't the kind of guy who should handle the ball on the break. And uh, my coach was absolutely right. So you need to learn your, your teammates' limitations, too. Um, I thought Isaiah Jackson was really good, obviously, this weekend. Um, I've been impressed with, with the way, you know, BJ's played. Um, and I think it, it needs to be considered. Uh, college basketball doesn't exist in a vacuum. You look at what happened with Jalen Johnson and Duke and the fact that that kid hadn't been playing well, and he's a, a proposed lottery pick, and he just said, yeah, you know what, I'm done, and I'm just going to walk away and get ready. Um, that's that's not a good sign for college basketball as a whole, but it should help us understand what's going through these kids' minds as they deal with frustrations that, in, in their world, sometimes it's just easier to, to pull the plug and move on, especially if you're a guy who's bounced around to a couple different schools. Um, so I, I've been really impressed with the way B.J.'s played, and he shot the ball 
especially well over the weekend. And it's a it's a great sign. That was a team um, late in the game that was playing with a lot of confidence. You know, you mentioned the Jalen Johnson case at Duke, and um, the phrase "opt out" is is a new one in our lexicon that came in mm-hmm. because of the coronavirus. Uh, and that's what was mentioned here. And then there have been a lot of college basketball writers that have said, or former coaches, et cetera, like, uh, yeah, it's opting out at this point. It's, it's more quitting than opting out. And that's, you can have that debate. But what I'm wondering is, do you think, um, this door was opened by the COVID-19 situation, but could uh, players continue to do this if things aren't going well and they just decide to go ahead and, uh, you know, go ahead and, G League or just, you know, go ahead and start training with somebody for the draft, et cetera, at some point uh, within a season? Would this happen more frequently? I don't know, Tom. Like, it, it's, it's kind of hard to predict where college basketball is going to end up in that regard, but I'm tempted to say no, and I think the biggest difference between college basketball and college football is two things. Number one, this gained momentum – with um, players opting out of bowl games probably five years ago mm-hmm. um, because for a couple things. Number one, there's a long layoff before bowl games. Number two, the majority of bowl games have very little import to the sports world at large. They're important to that school. They're important to that team. I, I understand that. Um, but there's also a real physical buildup to get ready for the NFL draft from a recovery time in college football and then to build your body up for the testing purposes at the combine. So I don't like it, but I understand why an athlete needs to schedule that, that body buildup. Basketball is totally different, as we all know, as a sport. But most of all, the platform that you get by playing in the NCAA tournament is so huge that that can absolutely impact your draft stock. That is the combine for college basketball. And as long as that holds importance to NBA talent evaluators to the general sports public at large uh to the sport to the to the broadcast networks i think that's just too big a carrot at the end of the stick for basketball players to say listen i'm on a team that's going to the tournament this is my time to shine this means a lot this is a gargantuan stage and i i just you know do might not be going to the tournament this year this kid uh left his high school team after a month um and it was a second in as many years, so maybe he's predisposed to it. But no, I just I think the NCAA tournament is too big a stage with the spotlights are too bright for um, for players to opt out of that part of it. The SEC tournament uh, comes up next month in Nashville, and I know some people still uh, are debating fans, writers, etc. About or is it you know are they still going to be played? I'm uh, have. I've uh, been firmly convinced that they, there will be an SEC tournament. I'll be surprised if it, if it does not happen. So let's assume that it does. Um, you know, if you, I'm looking at the top five teams in the league right now. Kentucky's beaten two of them and had lead in the final ten minutes against two others, Arkansas and Tennessee. Last night, Georgia beat Missouri uh, in Athens by ten. Arkansas beats Florida out in Fayetteville by eleven. Uh, this could be a a heck of a fun SEC tournament as balanced as the league seems to be. Oh, I think that, I think it's going to be wide open. Um, there's only one team that can't win it. That's Auburn because they're not going. I think anybody else can win this thing. You've seen how Scottie Pippen and Dylan Dissu have played lately. 
Uh, you saw what Pippen did at Rupp Arena, uh, you know, a month and a half ago. Um, that team has talent. They could, they can win games. We also don't know bigger picture. Let's just suspend. We don't know what the tournament is going to look like. I agree with you. It's going to happen. We don't know what, um, teams are going to be healthy. We don't know what individual motivations are going to be, what team motivations are going to be. Is, is Alabama, does Alabama have a route to a one seed? Is that motivating to them? Or would they rather, and I don't know that people make this conscious decision, but subconsciously, would they rather just get home or get to Indianapolis and get ready? Um, so it, motivation is going to be a real key picture. I view this tournament on the front end like we viewed the 2008 SEC tournament on the back end. When Georgia was the worst team in the league, they'd lost 11 of their last 13 coming in. The tournament gets interrupted by a tornado. Obviously, Kentucky fans know this well. Gets moved to Georgia Tech. And now, all of a sudden, everyone's motivation and, and um, routine is disrupted, totally disrupted. So I think, I think routines are going to be disrupted. I think motivation is going to be disrupted. I think whoever gets hot once they arrive in Nashville has a chance to win this thing. I, I really mean that. I mean, I think South Carolina could win it. I think Ole Miss could win it. I think Georgia could win it. I think LSU could win it. Um, you know, anybody anybody could. And, and I think style of play is going to be a key thing. The, the SEC is running at a tempo that they haven't run at in about 12 years. They led the country in tempo 12 years ago. Now they, they lead all power conferences in tempo. And mostly it's the teams at the top end of the standings who like to run. Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee is running now. Uh, Missouri wants to run. Georgia got back in that game by running last night. Tom Crean wants to run. Um, so that's, to me, that, that opens things up even wider and makes it more interesting. Let me switch to a football question and uh, a lot of um, buzz building here for Kentucky with a new offensive coordinator, uh, quarterback debates, you know, quarterback battles are always, uh, you know, fun for fans. You know, a lot of the guys in Kentucky got some pleasant surprises with the players that came back in the uh, O-line in particular, uh, a couple of uh, impactful transfers perhaps. So um, what's your take on what you're seeing out of uh, Kentucky uh, relative to all the building fan optimism here? Oh, I think it's, I think it's warranted. Um, you know, I, I came to practice last year and was, was standing on the sidelines with, with Coach Stoops and we just talked about where they were offensively and, and there was no secret that they needed to be more explosive. And I think at the time he was looking at it from a personnel standpoint that the wide receivers weren't having a great season. And it's obvious based on the, the move that he made after the season that there is at least part of his mind that was thinking, you know, it, play calling is a part of this too, and, and our identity is part of it. You, I just talked about the tempo in college basketball. We know in college football you have to have an explosive offense, and that, that comes a lot of different ways. But first and foremost, it's, um, it's the willingness to stretch the field and to have playmakers that can go do it. I mean, look at the national champions. Look what Alabama had. Um, the, the guy who wasn't even their best wide receiver to begin the season won the Heisman Trophy. Um, now, it's dangerous to get into the comparison to Alabama business, um, but it's obvious that what they do from an, an explosive standpoint and the way Nick Saban has changed his mind about tempo and spacing um, and and just the passing game as a whole, that that's, that's the, the wave of college football. Now, can you continue to be a great defensive team when you do that? All you have to do is look down to 
look down to what Josh Heifel was at Missouri when he was the OC. It'll be interesting to see what he does at Tennessee. Can they be a quick tempo at, you know, 1% tempo uh, in college football and still play defense? That's a question that a lot of old-school guys still haven't figured out the answer to. You know, that's, that's interesting now, cycling back to basketball, because uh, Cal um, recently was uh, on one of the radio shows. Somebody asked him about you know things he's learning from this season, and he talked about uh, you know the, the greater-than-ever emphasis on shooting and significance of shooting in college basketball. And at one point he said something about, I can't remember the exact quote, but framed it up from the standpoint of how much – defense are you willing to give up to get more offense so it's interesting both sports are kind of having that debate or some yeah, guys and, in them and the, co- and the coaches that i've talked to in the sec who have turned the tempo up relative to even their history or the program's history they've said you know behind closed doors listen we can't score or, we, we can't shoot and we don't have great scores so to be we're going to be a little less efficient because we can put up with turnovers because that's the only way we can get to the rim and get buckets is by turning up the tempo, by using our defense to help us out offensively. And it, it comes with a sacrifice, there's no doubt. Missouri is running more than they ever have because Conzo Martin finally figured out that he can trust his guards not to turn the ball over. Other teams are running more. Georgia comes to mind because they have a hard time scoring in the half court. So they understand with a, with a great wide-open point guard like Xavier Wheeler that his best opportunity to push is going to be when they can push at 94 feet, not when he's trying to work uh, 18 feet and in. Tom Hart, thank you much. See you hopefully at the SEC tournament. All right, Tom, stay warm. You too. Uh, We'll get to a break and come back. It's the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington with locations in Hamburg and in Palomar. Heated patio seating at both an expanded patio out at the the Hamburg location. And um, we invite you to go check them out for breakfast, brunch, or lunch. We'll be right back. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. Devin Booker named Western Conference Player of the Week in the NBA. Suns had uh, a 4-0 week. And he averaged 32 points a game. And I can't remember if it was last week or the week before that De'Aaron Fox uh, won the same honor for the Kings. So uh, Devin Booker uh, getting a little recognition. We're going to get to a break. Kyle Tucker from The Athletic will join us when we return. Kentucky and Vandy coming up tonight. We'll talk a little bit about that and more with Kyle. It's the Leach Report Radio Network from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the Cats. Second half of The Leach Report for Wednesday. More snow coming to much of Kentucky tonight and in the southeast. I think uh, more uh, ice, so... Everybody try to stay safe, and we got some warmth, some thawing coming uh, starting, I think, at the end of the weekend or into next week. Uh, we're efforting Kyle Tucker from the Athletic.com. Oh, we've got him on the line now on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Kyle Tucker joins us from the Athletic.com, where his uh, most recent story is uh, about Kentucky's win over Auburn last Saturday. Uh, a breakthrough, Kyle, in that they 
finally were able to win a close game. Um, made some key plays down the stretch. Probably, I thought their their last four minutes uh, in that section of the game maybe as as good as they've been all season. Yeah, and frankly, if you if you think about the loss to Arkansas. Uh, the game before, I mean, those last two games, there's a lot of, of sort of encouraging things to take from them. The offense has kind of opened up. They've started to score. They've, they've hit shots. They've made a bunch of threes. Um, and with the, you know, the last, you know, few seconds, I guess, notwithstanding in the Arkansas game, they really finished that game strong. So um, it, it does seem like maybe they're learning some lessons. Maybe they're too little too late. But uh, um, I think they are, are – Slowly but surely figuring things out. I mean, B.J. Boston is a guy that, you know, I think as you, if, when you really put this in context, uh, you know, a lot more is expected of him right away. But he's, he's a young guy who's not very deep into his college career. And frankly, in the last five or six games, he seems to have kind of figured some things out. And he's playing at a pretty high level. Um, you know, waiting 15 games into your college career is really not that long when you think about it. No, that's true. It's um, uh, you know if you back it, if you if you look at it from the standpoint of what a normal year would have been, this would be you know somewhere in early to mid January where he'd be maybe figuring this out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you when you throw in the two exhibitions and you throw in the five or six you know gimme games, that's probably seven more opportunities um, that he'd have had you know before he really had to. Um, you know, stand and deliver, I guess, so to speak. And so, I, you know, I, I, I'm i not ready to go, uh, well, they're probably going to win the SEC tournament. Um, I, I, th- I still think that's really unlikely. Um, but this team has always been, I think, way too talented to have the record that it has. I think it has flaws. There are obvious flaws and, and issues. Um, but they're still way too good to be to have been 5-13. and 13. Um you know, and they've played every good team in the league close. So, you know, as they start to turn some corners, is it like just totally inconceivable? No, not really to me. No, well, not at all. I think to me, and here's uh, why. And I uh, was kind of focusing in on this this week. And you know, we were talking when I was talking about Auburn. I think you made the the point about the last four minutes against Arkansas. That was probably their really their best last four with Auburn. It was really their uh, maybe their best uh, whole half or, uh, in the uh, the second half. But I went looked at the 2018 season, and you know, in football, we once the season's over, Kentucky uh, ends up at five and, and six, but they had to play all SEC games, and it was uh, you know certainly reasonable to say well. You know, this might have been an eight-win, eight or nine-win season if you win the bowl game, a nine-win season under a normal set of circumstances. I went back and looked at at eighteen, and I'd really kind of forgotten about this, where they f- were six and seven uh, in mid-February in the in the league that season, and uh, but they had had all those gimme games as you uh, talked about in uh, November to develop. It was a you know, entirely freshman-dominated group, and some guys maybe weren't quite as good as as uh, we thought they would be. And yet, um, you know, they got to you know, if Kentucky wins tonight. The the point is, they'd be six and seven in the league. Well, that team then won four straight, lost at Florida, won three straight to win the SEC tournament, and ended up in the Sweet Sixteen. So, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to think if this team can build some momentum that they could make a run at the SEC tournament. Yeah, I, I think. 
yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this, just like whether they can get it done or not. Just what it would be like if they were playing on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. You know, if they just if they get to the SEC championship game, uh, it would really be something. Just just the stakes of that. Like when has Kentucky been in a game that you knew unequivocally was was you know win or go home? Um, you know, I mean, even even the even the doomed kind of 2013 team. I don't really think a lot of people went into that SEC tournament thinking like you know they were going to lose that first night to Vanderbilt. You know, with 23,000 Kentucky fans in the building. Um, I just don't think people went into that tournament thinking they were like, you know, this is do or die and, and the season's going to be toast if they don't make a run in the SEC tournament. Um, it's it's just wild to think about they could get if they could get on a little run and just get to Sunday, then you, you have this incredibly high stakes uh, game for a team that has a losing record. Yeah, there really hasn't been that that moment where the whole state would be caught up in Kentucky basketball. You know, with the way the season started, you start out one and six. I think the the one exception might have been when they won three straight SEC games and they were playing Alabama for first place in the league back on January twelfth. And you know, if if you had won that one, um, you know, you you would have thought, oh, you know, okay, they're getting it together now. It didn't happen. They'll end up losing to Auburn and Georgia. So really, I don't think the LSU game uh, got Kentucky fans uh, motor revving again, but. You know, playing on Sun. You know, you finish strong in the SEC, and if you're playing on Sunday, that would be um, one of the uh, the moments that have been far too few, uh, too few, and far between for fans this season. Yeah, and, and and then the other side of that is is the thing Cal talked a lot about all season. The one thing they wouldn't have, which you know, you certainly would, would be this thunderous sort of home court advantage. Yeah, uh, trying to to drag you across the finish line in that in that situation. Uh, would be um, uh, however many people are in the building. There would be a scalper's delight at that point. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the <laughs> what the situation is going to be with that. But yeah, however many tickets are available. That if Kentucky was was on a run, they would be like like uh, gold. And if you're not a Kentucky fan, you're listening to us talk. You're thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, they, they won one game. They beat Auburn. That's a fair point. I, I just think this. They are playing better. And this week is a chance if, for this team. If you want to, you know, make a statement about what you might be able to do in March, this week is the chance to do it. Um, you could follow up and get a, you know, a nice road win against Vandy, and then going to play at Tennessee. If you won two this week, then you suddenly you're thinking, okay, maybe they have figured it out. Yeah, and and I think I think the important thing to kind of note is is not that they they don't know how to play toe-to-toe with every team in the conference because they they have right. done that they have they have they have played uh well they've they've pummeled florida which is one of the better teams in the league they've they've beaten lsu handily which is one of the you know top four or five teams in the league um and then alabama arkansas etc they they've played uh they've had you know their shots tennessee They've had their chances at the end to uh, to beat those teams. The issue has not been are they good enough to play with all the teams in the league and be in position to beat them. It's been are, are they are they savvy enough, together enough, you know, all those things to finish those games. And so, you know, I think if they can just demonstrate that they've learned some lessons about how to finish off games, 
they are in position, you know, every just about every night to do it. They, that, their issue is, you know, can you execute? Can you not? Can you not panic and, and turn the ball over? Um, you know, do you have a big shot maker? I do think it's interesting that they, they to me, I think clearly do have a big shot maker in Davion Mintz. I mean, he's hit three big ones. Two of them won games, and one of them should have won a game, but they couldn't finish it off. Um, you know, they have that guy. So that that's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of develop the finishing skills over the last, you know, handful of games here going into the, the SEC tournament. Chat with Kyle Tucker. You can read him at theathletic.com. We'll take a quick break and come back on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Kyle Tucker joins us on Wednesdays from theathletic.com via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can subscribe to The Athletic if you've not already done so in the lead-up to the end of the college basketball season, the NCAA tournament, uh, spring training, I think starting for some baseball teams today. So if you're a baseball fan, you get a, a great deep dive on uh, your favorite teams and the, and the sport in general. So go to theathletic.com uh, to find out more. Uh, Kyle, you, uh, in writing about uh, the the Auburn win, also we're talking about um, – where you're looking at, you know, got to be thinking about looking ahead to next season. If you're John Calipari, and coaches are never going to acknowledge that uh, that they do that, and he certainly seems to be in in the moment with this team. And we've talked about how they, you know, they could still have a shot to make a run and win the SEC tournament and get in the NCAA tournament. I don't think anybody sees them making a run to the championship game or anything like that. So, with that eye toward next year. Um, Davian Mintz, you were just talking about, uh, certainly seems like the, the door is, is more than cracked for him to perhaps come back and play a second season. And we're going to see uh, you know, a change in the business model of college sports with the transfer rule that uh, everybody thinks is, is, is going to get approved. Um, is that going to be a, an opportunity for John Calipari to um, find a way to get ahead of the, the curve in some way with the transfer game? Yeah, you would hope that he has he has put some real thought and energy into sort of the next phase of you know. And I remember when Jay Lucas was hired, you know, talking about it's not just about you know recruiting high school players. Like he understands that. And 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 to that point too, the, the there's two two sides of the transfer coin, and a big one is for Kentucky is is retention. Uh, and, and Jay talked about that, about recruiting your own players, recruiting your own, the families again, you know, that you already have in the fold about, you know, if it didn't go, you know, if you're, tra- if you're, you're talking about kids that might transfer, you're thinking about a guy who maybe it didn't go year one or year two like he thought it was going to go at Kentucky. And, and I think that's probably going to be the case for every guy on this roster that this year didn't go the way he thought it was going to go, uh, at Kentucky. You know, recruiting all, the player and all those people around him not to go anywhere. That's, that's, I think, vitally important for Kentucky at this crossroads that the program is at right now. Yes, they need to probably tweak recruiting in general. Uh, yes, they're going to have to figure out how to recruit uh, transfers in to get older. But, you know, an, a really important part of that is keeping together a, a core group of the guys they have now. Uh, so that, that to me is all going to be really fascinating. You know, can you, can you convince Keon Brooks the value of a junior season? Can you make sure, and I think it's really big 
even if people are, have been a little down on him, it's really big that Devin Askew has just said, like, I'm not like, and he said it twice now, publicly, I'm not like the other West Coast kids who come here, it doesn't go great the first year, and they all, you know, hurry back home to play at one of the California schools. You know, I'm here to stay, he said. That's going think- to be important for that to actually play out. I think uh, Kentucky fans look at a guy like John Petty at Alabama. The Kentucky uh, tried hard to recruit, and he is finishing up now his fourth year for Alabama, and they're a, a veteran team that is having their their best year in a long, long time. And they look at John Petty and say, why why doesn't that happen at, at Kentucky? To me, I, I think the challenge there for Kentucky, and this is you know true for, for Duke and anybody else that is able to uh, fish in the – the waters of the top recruits year in and year out. If you're John Petty and you're at Alabama, you're not as worried about getting recruited over as you are if you've gone to Kentucky or Duke, right? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's. I think that is a major factor. I think just sort of like, I don't know if culture is the right word, but it, it, it's expectation. Um, you become a victim of your own success, and and when when you're also at a school where four or five of your teammates are going to be going pro after one year every yeah. year. Uh, there's just a, a natural peer pressure there almost. Um, and I think that's always a factor as well. I uh, also wanted to follow up on something that you wrote about recently at The Athletics. A great read on uh, Riley Welch. And he's a guy that uh, rarely, if ever, has played. Uh, but... Uh, came here knowing he wouldn't didn't come here expecting to play. He came here wanting to learn how to be a coach. And uh, you had an interesting read about what he's learning from this season. Yeah, I think he's a really interesting kind of character on this team because he and in doing the story, I learned something I didn't. I don't think I realized, which is Riley's dad, the longtime NBA assistant who's worked, you know, played for Tarkania and UNLV, and has worked for some elite NBA coaches. Uh, he's the guy who introduced John Calipari to Vance Wahlberg, who is the the creator of the dribble drive, and, and basically led to Cal, um, who, who was kind of struggling really to launch at, Men- at Memphis his first couple of years, to implement that at Memphis, and, and that program took off when he did that. And Riley Welch's dad is the guy who introduced uh, those those two, uh, and so they obviously have a relationship. That's how Riley ended up. At Kentucky, I think his dad wanted him to come and learn from a Hall of Fame coach uh, like Calipari. Um, and Riley is just a really smart basketball guy, and he's a guy that Cal has talked about a bunch. You know, said you know has I think come to respect his mind and, and kind of leaned on him like an assistant coach. So I just it was interesting. I wanted to talk to him about what that was, what that's been like. You know, when you come here to learn how to coach, you know, in the you know at a, at a mecca of basketball under a Hall of Fame guy. And then you have this sort of train wreck of a season. Um, you know, what is that like as, a, as the, the coach in training? And, and I think there's some pretty – and he noted, you know, there are some real valuable lessons in watching how a staff deals with a season like this and, and how they keep trying to motivate um, even when times look pretty pretty desperate. Yeah, and, you know, Riley's a guy that uh, just I, when I watch practice, because Askew and Mintz are both in the starting lineup – then they need a when they're uh, running two uh, two sets of of offense at two ends of the court. They need a point guard with the with the second group, and so Riley's uh, is in that role a lot. And you can watch him practice, and you know he he clearly has a high basketball IQ. Yeah, and I like 
having talked to a bunch of people about just what they see when they see him practice, I've, I've heard stories of him, like, him cooking some dudes, like, you know, high-level guys, Terrence Clark, and, you know, him and apparently him and Ashton Hagens used to have these battles. He just would not back down from Ashton Hagens to the point that they, it would get pretty heated last year. And, they, you know, they always kind of shook it off and, and hugged it up after practice. But um, I, I like that. I, and, I, you know, frankly, if they got in a pinch, I'd be really interested to see, you know, Riley Welch and just, you know, some spot minutes. I think he could probably run their offense. Uh, oh, he's got yeah. some kind of old man craftiness to to his game where uh, certainly against a younger point guard, I think he could he could probably hold his own. Yeah, I, I think Riley would probably acknowledge uh, you, you wouldn't want to see him for a long stretch on Sharif Cooper or Scottie Pippen Jr. on the defensive end. <laughs> right. But on the offensive end, uh, he could uh, they, they could run their stuff just fine, I think. Kyle, thank you much. Uh, we'll talk next week. Appreciate it. It's Kyle Tucker. You can read that story at theathletic.com. We'll be right back to wrap it up on the Leach Report. We were talking about Wandale Robinson with Josh Moore yesterday and his transferring to Kentucky from Nebraska. You can hear him talking about it, Wandale, on the latest edition of the Behind Kentucky Football Podcast with Curtis Birch. Here's uh, Wandale talking about Liam Cohen and the attractiveness of that hire. Oh, I mean, it's really, really exciting, especially knowing he coached receivers at one point, and then he coached the quarterbacks, and so he knows exactly what you need to look like to be in the NFL. Um, so that's just a really big thing. He can always pick the little things that I might do and just help me get better. Even coming from Nebraska, he had access to see what I did, and so he can tell me exactly what things I was doing really well and some things I needed to work on. And so that's just a really big plus of having him here, too. And again, you can find the full interview uh, that Curtis did with Wandale Robinson at the Behind Kentucky Football Podcast. Uh, this day in Wildcat history is presented by the new Rave On app for fans to comment on big plays and bad calls uh, with other fans during a game. Uh, the note for today is a happy birthday to former Wildcat football nose guard Matt Elam. We'll see you tomorrow to recap the Cats and the Doors here on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. See you next time, right here.